Hello, 180 Grams listeners slash fam. It's been a minute, but we've been cooking up something else on the side before season two of 180 Grams launches. It's called Hit Different. It's a weekly music and cultural podcast. It's less about genres, more about the infinitely complex artistic discipline and the industry that we love, sometimes loathe, but always come back to. Music, music, music. Music is life. Music makes the world go round. Music is to my ears. You know the host, it's me, Mikey Carl. Get your phone out now, please, and subscribe to Hit Different. You will not regret this decision. It's basically like the water cooler chat you don't get to have anymore. Now you're working from home. We keep you up to date with the industry goss, which is always hot, like our takes. I have two of the finest music journalists in the land, and me, Marcus Teague and Socia Fiamole. If you like 180 Grams, I dare say you'll like Hit Different. We've done a bit of a wish list of guests, and everyone said yes. Each week, myself and a co-host will be in the studio discussing the current events, the current state of play in music, working out who's got the buzz, whether it's going to last. Here's the first ep of Hit Different, where we all get to know our co-hosts, Socia Fiamoli and Marcus Teague. And also you get to find out which band owes one of us 500 bucks. Yeah, we're dirty. Velkommen, boys, girls, cats, dogs, chickas and chickas, however you identify, you've arrived. Hit Different, episode one. I'm going to say, going to say, it's a vibe. It's feeling, I'm feeling a vibe. Two friends of mine very highly esteemed journalist people that just get it done. I've got, and I always F up your um, name, so I'm not going to F it up. So Sophia Molly. What's good? What's good? <laughs> I like the little accents you put on my name. It makes me sound even more exotic than my name. You are exotic. Suggest. Excellent. Uh, and just tell us who you work for. What, what's your, you'd work for your I work for a... myself. That's right. Let's, let's get that. dance. Yes, exactly. Yeah, no, I freelance. I've uh, been doing it for... God, this stint would be coming up to my fifth year, which is uh, impressive, but also terrifying at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing a lot of stuff for um, things like Rolling Stone, Beat Magazine. Uh, you may have read some of my stuff on Triple J, Double J. You know, I go where the money or lack thereof is. You know Jill of all like. trades. You know what it's like. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. And Marcus Teague, welcome, sir. Thank you, Mikey. How are you feeling? You've got a bit of a wrist injury from basketball last night. Stu, I ran into a wall last night. <laughs> um, he, said, he said my ear hit the wall. And then my wrist followed. Yeah. Well, yeah. So you were quite close to the wall. I ran into the wall, but then that's my approach with journalism, of course. Yeah, I would say which... it's hard hitting. <laughs> it hits different, that's exactly. true. Exactly. We've got to get there, don't we? We're having so much fun. <laughs> Marcus, you're one of the most respected journalists in Australia. You write for Broadsheet, The Guardian. Uh, what else do you do? I've, yeah, I play music. I've got, been in a few bands. I don't know. I've played for. I've written for a lot of places over the years. Lately, yeah, Guardian and Broadshed, I guess, are the two. Mm. Do a little bit of stuff behind the scenes for just you know industry sort of stuff, I guess, as well. Writes a lot of band bios. Band bios, playlists, that sort of stuff. Yep, gotta yeah. love those band bio rewrites. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? I, I don't get. I don't get rewrites. Good. None of us do. None of us do. And my friends, my name is Mikey Carl. I am DJ Joey Lightbulb. The most interesting thing about me is definitely that I'm the Hawk mascot. Or I'm sorry, I know the Hawk mascot very well and have done so for 15 years. Hawker, doing it this Sunday, in fact. That's all people want to know about, to be honest. What's he he like at home? He is a gorgeous dad. 
uh, who looks after his kids and plays constantly and is rad. I'm just talking myself up now. <laughs> As a journalist, I've been writing for 20 plus years. Started off at Impress when I gave them a box of Mentos, 20, 20 packs of Mentos in a giant box and ra- wrapped it in a rave poster and wrote it, the A to Z survival of the big day out. And I got a call <laughs> the next day. <laughs> I had my mobile number written on napkins wrapped around every Mentos. And the Mentos guy. Good news. We're going to run a full page of your A to Z guy. Wow. wow. And so that was a nice jump. I was working for Buzz Magazine and first ever interview something for Kate actually, which which was you know a nice way to what jump off. What album was that around? We're talking Captain Million Miles an Hour. Yes. Like I think first record. Frankston paper, right? Buzz. Yep. Frankston paper run by a, a man of best described as an obelix doppelganger. Yes, I know. Asterix and obelix, uh, Mr. Sutton. I know who you're Odd about. cat. Mm. <laughs> Glad to get out of there. Did an early band photo of one of my bands in a shopping trolley out the back of Frankston. Wow. Is this the band Dolores? It is, yeah. Fantastic. It's also the band Dolores. Good. So I just have Tourette's for our Seinfeld quotes. <laughs> Homies, let's get into this. The show is called Hit Different. It's a weekly music and cultural podcast that's less about genres, more about the infinitely complex artistic discipline and the industry we love, sometimes loathe, but always come back to. So, say we'll start with you. Tell us about music that really changed your life. I was just thinking, you know, I feel like a lot of us, especially when we work in music, we always get the question, you know, what was your first concert? Because that must have been the thing that changed your (laughs) life and opened you up. Mm -hmm. Mine was human nature. (laughs) So... (laughs) This has been hit different episode one. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So talking about things that hit different, like that's, you know, I I grew up, um, well, like my exposure to music was growing up in like the early 2000s when all we had was pop music which was great but now thinking about what I work in now which is sort of predominantly the the hip-hop R&B and electro adjacent scenes it's kind of funny that I've wound up here given what I was brought up on (laughs) but you know anything from from like the roots to what Thundercat and Anderson Park are doing to the other side of the spectrum falling in love with bands like The National, Phoebe Bridges, even rediscovering bands recently during lockdown, like TV on the radio and Olympia, oh, you know, like oh. I don't know where those connections started, but they have such visceral memories for me that I can attach to live music. And I'm not sure if it's because we've been in lockdown and we've been without that sort of real tangible feeling. But, you know, listening to Cellophane for the first time the other day in so long and remembering, like, freezing my ass off in a hangar at Dark Mofo watching FKA Twigs on a pole, you know? Like, <laughs> that's what I remember. Like, I feel cold yes. when I listen to that music because that's what cold I felt music. at the night. But I was just like, oh, wow. Like, that's, yeah, I don't know. I've just been, I've been really craving that recently. So I feel like I'm listening to music a bit different. Yeah, that's spot on. Marky Marcus. Yeah, I was just thinking, I mean, you can interpret this question so many different ways, but it was making me think about a, uh, in terms of music that hits different, I feel like a big thing for me, I grew up with, I guess, guitar music, mm-hmm. kind of especially in Frankston, where uh, certain e- a certain era of sort of like uh, late 90s, early 2000s, mm. uh, now very uncool guitar bands were a really big deal. Um, but I was thinking about how, uh, that kind of got me into, I guess, indie rock in, in America, which often gets short shrift, mm-hmm. I feel like, because it sort of falls between the, the cracks of that kind of like, what was like a very sort of overtly kind of like, I feel bad exclamation mark, um, complain in, rock. in complain rock. <laughs> yeah. 
and then kind of like onto the fun pop punk and stuff. But there was a sliver in between there with indie rock where I got really into a band, for example, called Archers of Loaf. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons was that all of their lyrics were about we. They would replace the I with we. And then that sort of like switched a light bulb on for me, both as a writer and, you know, a musician in that you could write about stuff that it was sort of like um, adopting like a collective uh, mentality. And that's something I think I ran with from that point on. It took me a while to kind of like remember where it came from. Um, but yeah, and and then fast forward many years to the opposite end of that bracket was that I remember being at, it was one of those short-lived festivals. I think it was maybe V that was in, oh, in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it yeah. was like... Vanilla Ice played there that day. Yeah, yeah, so right. Was, called v. <laughs> was it the one... Um, <laughs> There was Modest Mouse were playing and yep. Smashing Pumpkins Smashing as well. Yeah, it was that one. Yeah, And this is where that, that kind of like bracket comes to the end. And I remember watching Smashing Pumpkins. And I was by no means a fan by that stage or anything like that. Um, just a caveat, Smashing Pumpkins fans, that, um, <laughs> you know, I know that you're all hardcore. Um, that I remember kind of watching it going, oh, this is a bit dreary. And then hearing like, like seeing the lights and hearing the thump from the other end and going in and seeing um, presets playing mm. My People before it was released oh. sort of thing. Yes. And that being another kind of like, oh, like this is this. Yeah. Like what I thought was out there is in here. And I, I mean, I'd seen them before. I think it like, like Night at Meredith and that sort of stuff. But yeah. um, it was another little light bulb moment for me that, that, that you might say hit different. Beautiful. <laughs> the presets is a really interesting one because I – we, we um, hired through Rupert Murdoch. Hi, Rupert, if you're listening. Rupert Doggy Dog. And we, we hired a, a rental car when I was working at the Herald Sun and drove up to Sydney to go to the Daft Punk Pyramid Show. Mm. And, my God, we had the best time. We got really good. Um, we had such a good time. <laughs> really good time. And Muscles got, came on and he was unreal in the afternoon. Oh, muscles. I know. I'm not going to say rest in peace. Muscles, you're still with us. We Shouts love you. to Muscles. Yeah, he's still having a crack. But the presets came on and they played their second record before it was released. And it was way more interesting than the Daft Punk show. The Daft Punk show was mm. fine, mm. but it's all the shit I've heard before. Sure. Whereas they came out and, oh, my God, it just it smashed us across the face. And it was mid-afternoon slash early evening and it was so rock and roll. Mm. And that whole thing, like, yeah, he just, he just was absolutely to see Julian. Just having it and knowing that they were kind of the underdogs of the day, like you know, it's sort of a, it's, it's a really good gig to have, I reckon. In that, you've got a you know a crowd that are that are keen to dance, and you've got the artillery, and they just unleashed it. And I've had so many arguments with friends over the years who say you no know, Daft Punk were better that day. I'm saying, mm. were they? Like, what what was more interesting for you? It was yeah. it hearing hearing Defunk again, which again is fine, but even to talk about that because Daft Punk don't, obviously don't speak on the mic. So there's a as a distance, you sure. know, and whereas the presets were like my people, etc. This is before my people. They were there for us. There was, you know, Steamworks and everything else that came up. That yippee oh yeah, yeah, incredible track. So I had a very big moment with that. But mulling on this question this week, um, I recall going to Chris Hearn's house and hearing Violent Femmes for the first time while drinking Baileys and milk with his hot oh sisters. God. Um, what a side, combo. side note, his sister drove me home that night and Chris said, go on, do it. And she drove around the roundabout the wrong way and it was a blind, like, I could have oh. died. And he, he oh. goes, she always does that. So this this is before TAC ads. This is how long ago it is. She, Why? She, just just yeah. for shits and giggles, honestly. And it's had this, like, manic slash very calm, serene look on her face. 
And I was thinking about this last night. What if a car came over the hill at that very time? <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm buzzed on uh, it's some make Irish. a really big, <laughs> bad hit different, <laughs> different, different meaning. <laughs> anyway, but to hear um, Gordon Gano say, one, 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 because you left me. Do this whole count up in a song thing. I was like, can people do that? Sure. You know, make your own rules. And having, you know, this stuff about staining your sheets and just that real incredible honesty and wanting to feel like, you know, because at the time I was 14, 15, but wanting to feel like I was a college kid in, in the US and, and, you know, feeling sort of finding my people, finding, finding a, a sense of community just by listening to that. And then I heard the Pixies not long after when he, they do the count up too and you know, God, seven. Mm. You know, it's just such a powerful way to, uh, to just sort of take, it, take everything around, suck all the air into this and then, Expanded again within the, you know three or four minutes of a, of a pop song indie mm. pop song, absolutely staggering. So that was a very very cool, very nice memory to mm. take back. And I've ne- Bailey's has never tasted as good as it did that day. I can imagine <laughs> it's been okay. Coupled with the near death experience, yeah. which I'm, yeah. I'm sure it'll have a yeah. different taste. Yeah. The fun thing about that stuff, both that experience and and the gig, is that. You never know when those things are just around the corner. Yes. Exactly. That's what's so fun, yeah. kind of being a part of the music scene, I think, is that that innocuous show or that support act or that your friend's yeah. record that are playing, you never know which is going to knock you sideways and which is going to be that touchstone that you're talking about from years from now. So it's this yeah. constant sort of, I don't know, like I, I guess one of the, the funny things about being in the industry for a long time and a journalist is you can get pretty jaded and you feel like you've squared away some stuff and then that's never going to change. But then you're constantly surprised or knocked on your ass from something else. Yeah. And it's, it's, and it's really exciting. I don't know if that happens too much in kind of other industries, so to speak. Yeah, that's very true. I was thinking when we saw Genesis Awusu the other week, Yes, that was a moment where, you know, it was stood in a crowd. I've listened to that album almost religiously since it's come out. Um, So I felt like my expectations were at a certain point, but even then there's no amount of research you can do to prepare you for a show Mm. like that. All those shows, experiences where you just, you don't see them coming. Mm. And I feel like because we work, especially as writers, it's almost our job to know, to to be able to see around that corner a lot of the time. Mm. So when it does happen, it's just like, oh, I'm properly a punter for the first time now, and it's mm. amazing. Yep. To strip know? away all the baggage that you have as a journalist mm. is so important, as the, the jaded thing. Because one other job that uh, Sose and I do, and hopefully Michael's will do it soon as well, the Australian Music Prize judging, where we have to listen to like 200 records. And I hate to say it, but sometimes you're like, okay, you know, I, I don't want to like this record. Mm. You kind of feel like, I don't like the cover, or is this going to be some bluegrass? Well, this is not my thing. Mm. But then you get, like a few years ago, like, um, uh, Blake Scott's record was recommended by Paul Dempsey, you know, the, the Pete Tempel. And just one of the things in the press releases said, I listened to this record and I feel soily. And don't think that's that's not a good thing. But yet I can't. I have to keep going back to it because there's some kind of Australian grime about this. Mm. And I was like, hang on, Paul Dempsey really likes Pete Tempel. And I, I'd written them off a little bit because of their terrible name. Mm. And then I listened to that album and I've been pushing Peep Tempel to everybody <laughs> since yeah. then. And with good reason, you know, Blake Scott has shown himself as to be one of, you know, Australia's premier songwriter, perhaps, I want to say the next Gareth Lydiard, but certainly a peer to Gareth Lydiard in, in many ways. definitely be worthy of that mantle for yeah. sure. To go back to Violent Femmes for a second, I recall Alternative Nation, 1995, it was Easter Sunday. Tickets were $66.60, which is 666, so it was pretty cool. Um, 
before Tool had blown up, Tool playing 46 and 2, yeah. Maynard said, today's the, th- the birthday of a little thief named Baby Jesus. And as a, <laughs> as a Catholic schoolboy with two parents who were both taught at Catholic schools, who were both special ministers on a Sunday, I'm watching this going, I'm challenged by this. <laughs> I'm really liking it. But what's he got against Jesus? And But just going with this power of this guy who was like, he was just miming, um, stirring a cauldron on stage. And he had this crazy mullet and this sort of spinal tattoo. And the whole thing was amazing. Incredible moment. And then Violent Femmes came out at seven o'clock. And I've never seen this before. This is this is at the Entertainment Center outdoors at Olympic Park. They started playing the chords for Blister in the Sun. Dun, 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 dun. And I've never seen this, that amount of people rush towards mm. the stage. We're talking like people losing their minds, losing their hats, like things, that <laughs> debris flying as everyone needs to get to that stage as quickly as possible. To start with the biggest hit as well. Like, That's a flex. <laughs> That's a flex, all That's right. That's a flex. <laughs> um, which could segue into us uh, talking a little bit about, yeah, those, those early gig moments. I've just got one other one while I, while, while I have you guys. I think her name was Amy Grant, and for some reason she played in my church. <laughs> this is uh, this is not secretly a, a Christian <laughs> podcast, don't worry. <laughs> Good, Charlotte. I'm looking at you. Anyway, she finished the set, and she said, I don't want anyone to clap at the end. It's going to be a really nice, powerful moment. If there's no clapping, I'm going to finish this last song, and I'm going to walk out. And she did. She finished the song, and she walked out of St. Michael's Church in Berwick, and everyone, this is before mobile, mobile phones were a thing, everyone was completely silent. And it has stayed with me, you know. It is, mm. That moment has absolutely, I can still see her there mm. in the blue lights. And she had this really kind of like confident, yes, I'm doing the right thing here kind of vibe about her. And it was just, yeah, it was, it was a real cool thing to see. And otherwise, um, boring church day. Mm. I think my version of that, if I'm if I'm uh, thinking about it now, is Gillian Welch. Yeah. yeah. In, in that around that time that I saw her, I remember, I guess that was that era of sort of like arcade fire and the big, mm. big bands and yeah. a big, thick sound. Mm. And I remember seeing her and David Rawlings play a show and it was just Where the toughest thing ever. It was the Forum and the and then they did another one at the Prince, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was just the two harmonies and one, you know, two acoustic guitars and it was just sort of like the most punk rock heaviest thing ever in a way <laughs> that they could pull that off. Yeah. And make you elicit those same feelings that those big bands were doing at the time. Mm. That was something that really kind of like was like, especially at the time, you know, writing music was like, fuck. <laughs> you don't have to do all this stuff. No. You don't have to have the outfits and there's someone on the floor, Tom, and you know, yeah. all that sort of stuff. It's just about that force of charisma and mm. nature and, and I guess skill and talent that really twisted my head at that time. Terrific. So, so do you have anything yeah. similar? Um, yeah, I I spent a couple of consecutive years covering bands at um, like South by Southwest and The Great Escape in the UK, and doing that in like my early twenties was formative in itself. Yeah. You know, not having travelled much overseas on my own at that time, much less in like a professional capacity. So, I can remember um, being in Austin. I think it was twenty twenty fifteen, and there's a there's the the main strip of Austin where, you know, it's just bars pumping with music, you know, 12 p.m. to like 4 a.m. in the morning. And then it's like you cross over to the more industrial sector. And it's just like a suburban street that has bars that have been made out of converted houses and stuff like that. So that was really cool. And I remember going to 
this one venue that looked like a house from the outside, but they'd built um, like a bit of a uh, back, uh, just a bar pretty much onto the back of it. So it wouldn't have been any bigger than a normal backyard, probably like 100, 150 pushing at capacity. And the lineup was Portugal the Man, going into Future Islands, going into Charles Bradley as a headliner. <laughs> Which are three bands that you wouldn't normally program and you wouldn't think it would work. Mm. But because people are, you know, going in and out of venues, just seeing what they can get into, that sort of energy is brilliant because you've got different music fans from all over the place going to see music that they may not have seen before. Um, I remember being crammed in and it's South by Southwest, so you've just got the most random fucking crowd. Like I had Shia LaBeouf, like <laughs> pre... Cancelment. Pre-cancelment. Persona non grata. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next to me with his, I think, girlfriend at the time who was in Nymphomaniac with him. Lovely couple. Uh, <laughs> next to me on one side and then just all these other people on the other side and we're watching Future Islands probably from you to me away and so you just got spit being like spit and sweat just flinging off the stage like very very bad for COVID but um (laughs) but you're almost standing there and like nothing it's it's not an issue because you're just like yeah yeah sweat on me some more like just scream at me and we're screaming back and it was amazing and then you have someone like Charles Bradley who who came on um like 20 minutes later so everyone's just heaving from future islands we're out of breath we're we're just rooted and then this wonderful wonderful voice comes on and just starts making people cry Mm. like opens with changes takes his whole like with horns and everything on this tiny little stage probably like old bar level Mm. stage so fucking crammed and he's sweating and he's crying and everyone just it was it was unforgettable and I remember that moment being like okay I've been up for four days straight working on content but this is what you know this is why we do it you know what I mean Mm. um and coming back Coming out of that, it's. I remember that set a standard for those sorts of shows because mm-hmm. it didn't matter that, you know, these bands came from such different backgrounds. It didn't matter that they are at different levels of their career. They're there to do a job and they're there to, to kind of express and bring the audience into their sort of world. And it worked. It was so cohesive. And so it's. that's why it's always funny to me when we get into conversations about why certain festival programming doesn't work or why people aren't taking more risks. Because I'm like, well, obviously you, there are variables in place that need to happen, but, you know, there can be some real gems when you have really diverse bills like that, you know? Mm. Interestingly, Josh Teske saw Charles Bradley, the Screaming Eagle of Soul, rest in peace, and that mm. completely changed him. And he became, like, the way he sang after that, obviously, and I think they were quite a bit to Charles Bradley for their success because he never phones in one note you know, and he just, he saw it and he said, he spoke to his dad about it. He's like, it changed Josh. Something changed in him. It was a look in his eyes after he'd seen him at um, Wave mm. Rock. So it changed the way he sang, yeah. you said. Yeah, and changed the way he performed. Right. And that this guy, because Charles Bradley finished pretty much every set crying. You know, he went out to the crowd and he would hug everybody. He had bloody knees from just dropping down because he was a James Brown impersonator before that. Mm. Yeah. You know, bloody knees and just giving everything to the gig and almost surprised he didn't die on stage. You know, like the guy from Morphine died on stage. It's happened over the years. He kept going even when he was quite ill as well. Right near the end, he was was still performing. 
which was kind of sad in itself. Like the last few times I saw him play, his band, who were obviously quite a lot younger, had to, like I remember his his brass section would have to just kind of direct him off stage because he was like mentally not mm. really there. But he right. left it all. Totally. Like the, the music, it was like yeah, note for fucking note. Yep. But then he kind of just look a bit lost because yep. he just left it out so they just have to yeah. Yeah. walk this, him this off a little sad. bit. Uh, Lemmy from Motorhead, my friend, was his driver a few years ago. Right. And he, said he <laughs> smashed the whole the whole tour and everywhere he went he had literally two people propping him up to walk him because he wow. would just get up and just start drinking bourbon and smoking cigarettes and huh. being an absolute sweetheart. Super quick segue. Dave Roll at, at Lemmy's funeral, have you seen this? In the eulogies to talking about... He invited Lemmy to a show and he's hoping he'll come. And anyway, goes Dave Grohl, just before the show, goes into the sort of the, the band room and he hears Motorhead just blaring. And he's like, finally, my band. I, oh, God, this is cool. Finally, someone's playing some fucking good music before the show. And he goes in there and it's just Lemmy by himself. <laughs> <laughs> I love he it. He goes, hey, Lem. Yes. Hey, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> just having a cigarette. That's awesome. On the flip side to Charles Bradley's knees, I remember seeing Dillinger Escape Plan at Soundwave. Oh, very good band. One of the toughest bands, but wearing knee pads under his jeans. Whoa, how do we feel about that? Not, I think not so tough that he couldn't wear knee pads when he dropped to the <laughs> dropped to his knees to no. do his guitar solo. I like it. I like because I saw them at, at um, Gershwin Room at the SV one time, and he was in the in the crowd, the, the guitarist, within the first two bars like he was in playing guitar and crowd surfing like that's how you start a show like, mm. yeah, yeah leaving out there the pre-covid thing made me think of this before i saw el green at the palais and he was like you know had his daughters there and he was sort of like passive aggressively kind of bagging them out because they were his bv you know choir kind of things the bvs but he was also like trying to ingratiate himself he's like i went to saint kilda this morning and <laughs> i got myself a latte and I was like hell we drink lattes <laughs> he drink coffee too <laughs> he gets us and then oh. he walked out into the crowd and he started flicking his sweat onto people oh. like he would just get it and just flick from his and people <laughs> were just like honestly baptize me <laughs> the reverend it was amazing it was like how can you get away like people like literally Quite had their literally tongues out anointed yeah anointed it was I was at um Laneway in Singapore, and Mac DeMarco was like, people were lining up for him to spit in their mouths. Oh my God, Father. Uh-huh. Oh my God. Not from Mac DeMarco. Oh no, thank God. you. No, thank you. <laughs> and they were no, loving No, ma'am. It's the weirdest thing I've seen. Yeah. And you, those moments in your life, you see them, you go, okay, good. I'm, I feel stronger for this because I can, <laughs> yeah. I can endure that. Yeah, I, and I'm going to push My takeaway was just that, oh, Mac DeBarco is huge in, in <laughs> Singapore. <laughs> yeah. Singapore. I had no idea. Jason Donovan once sold his breath, I think. That was, I think it's like an urban wild. myth. But he was selling his breath for like 20 pounds. And people, uh, people were saying, this is Jason Donovan's breath, yeah? And people were lining up and throwing down their filthy liquor. That's incredible. Oh, so, so good. Works so much better with the accent. Uh, what accent? I don't know what you're talking about. Um, we'll finish up, but we'll do a little bit more just for the, con- the contemporary stuff. I witnessed the avalanches. I saw you there, Marcus Teague, at the City My Music Bowl, mm-hmm. which was one of the most immersive, uh, spiritually nourishing gigs I've ever been to. This is only two weeks ago. The bass was so loud and heavy that chairs that were pushed back were creeping towards the really? stage and knocking over G&Ts That's and right. no one gave a fuck because everyone was in. I've never right. seen so many people just with their arms moving around being completely hypnotised 
by the beat, by the samples. You know, they're putting in Carl Wilson's voice and Freddie Mercury's voice and Wayne Coyne and Kurt Vile and Nana Cherry. All these voices are floating around. That's the whole theme of their show was these voices are all out in the ether. You know, Beyonce's yeah. voice is going to be out there forever, John Lennon's. And the way they did it and blended it in without feeling like a, a girl talk um, kind of mishmash, they did it so wonderfully and kind of uh, there, was a, there was a reverence to the whole thing. Yeah, it was it was one of the best gigs I've ever been to. Uh, straight up, you know, I just I can't, I walked out of there, and everyone I spoke to, we were just beaming for days, and That's still kind awesome. of and still kind of am. And it came off the back, obviously, of like just not being able to see shows for such yeah. a long time. Yeah. Like it was such a sort of like it always would have been in celebration that show, but mm-hmm. I think it was particularly it's sort emancipation. Of, yeah, yeah. At that point in time, people mm. were losing it just because they had a license to be out somewhere and jiggle. Mm. Unleash. Mm. Especially at the bowl as well. Oh. Like the way that that's been set up over the last few months has been yeah really cool mm. to see music in. Totally. Mm. I saw Skeggs there. Skeggs, a very cool band from from Byron. Who the new record? It's so Velvet Underground. Paul Kelly. Like it's a real really yeah. People are gonna go. I thought Skeggs were just another June Rats. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh, and to see kids losing their – they had to stop the gigs six times because kids were leaving their pods and all hanging out together. Amazing. And it, was a, it was a push gig, so it's all ages. And that's a, it was a really cool reminder. Like I'm a person who very rarely gets jaded, but just another little reminder that that's, this is what it's about, like absolutely just giving yourself to every song and just yeah. singing your ass off and who cares what you look like and, you know, and not worrying about getting six drinks with your friends, like actually being yeah, there, there front the and centre. And doing it as well. I think that's, yeah, if I could change one thing about me, uh, <laughs> I would have seen disclosure if you I got too drunk for it. I would have seen oh, disclosure. Man. Anyway, we all have regrets. But uh, yeah, just, just that being completely, um, you know, genuflecting mm. and mm-hmm. being, being present. Mm. Um, and the Genesis show, which we saw, uh, so say that was Palkin. John Omar, for people that don't give a bit inside word, John Omar from Jaguar he did a lot of the, um, he sort of, sort of linked the songs together and, and they did lots of work behind the scenes. Is this the time to say that they still owe me 500 bucks for a band bio that they never paid? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, hit different where the takes are hot, the vibe's chill and the feeling's warm. <laughs> Apart from Jaguar Ma, Gab Winterfield, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to you about this. Is this Todd as well? Yeah. Yes. This is fucked. That's yeah. not cool. No, it's not. I've con- I, I confronted both of them actually at uh, Dark Mofo a few years ago. Really? Yeah. Uh, Jono in I a. This is a great way to launch our, Jono, our podcast. Jono in a lift, and he just sort of laughed a little bit. I mean, I've been doing band buyers for a long time, and everyone's paid eventually. Mm, I hate that. And then, uh, yeah, that. spoke to Todd at the show, mm-hmm. and he. Um, it, fin- it was a very heated conversation. It finished with him. I can't believe I'm saying this on air, it's but cool. um, it finished with him saying, "All right, like I'll pay you or whatever," and then it just never happened. That shit. And it still still irks me, not because of the money, but just because no one else has ever done that. Yeah, yeah, it's not that's right. Not hard. Mm. It's not. Anyway, hard. we might need to get our legal team onto this one. No, no, it's all it's it's all it's laid all out there. Um, honestly, the impress owed me. <laughs> impress owed me two hundred dollars. Let's go. Let's yeah. rip into it. Let me just, let me just get my laptop get out. Of, <laughs> let me pull out my spreadsheets. <laughs> and uh, I was commentating a football game, which I would usually take part of, but I had an injury. And I said, Lee Truick with the ball, still owes me $400. And this is in Victoria Park. <laughs> and oh of course, after the game, mate, uh, mate, um, what do I owe you? For, really? For what? I said, oh, I did a chop a chop A to Z guide <laughs> how, to, how to make it in the music industry. Okay, mate. I'm so sorry, but I never, never do that again. Like, well, <laughs> if you paid me, I wouldn't have to do it. 
Sure enough, two weeks later, after, I'm not kidding, another 11 emails, okay, <laughs> they paid me. The best part was there's only 200, but I chucked another 200 bucks interest on that because I ain't got time for this shit. Oh, this is like the, the plastic sealed section of the podcast, isn't You're it? very lucky to hear all this, my friends. And Lee, if you're listening, God love you. Um, so say, who the fuck owes you money? Look, a lot of people, but to be honest, I've got to go through and actually figure out if I've just forgotten to invoice a lot of it. But is there any lingering? Like I made a, like a mate of mine did a, did a gig years ago for, it was like Carlton, oh, I want to say, it was a beer company, mm-hmm. and it was only 100 bucks. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, I'm to go. Anyway, and he just kept asking for that 100 bucks. He goes, it was a three-hour set, it was sunny, just pay me. And like you, Marcus, it's not even about the money anymore. Mm. And he never got paid. It's like, it's just shit form. Mm. Yeah. It is. Happened a bit, happens a bit on Instagram as well. People get called out. It happened recently. Mm-hmm. It's happened quite a few times, but it it's especially in the band bio game, mm. you know. Um, those are decent projects. Yep. Those are for, for people who don't They're necessarily intense. do them. You know, there's a lot of time that we have to put into them, a lot of edit time, a lot of interview time. So even just asking for, say, 200 bucks from a major label, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know. Just handle it over, hand it over. Just, it's not hard. Uh, and then to be told, oh, you know, but we, we pay monthly. So you, you'll get it in, like, the next round. I'm like, okay, but it's been six months, so, <laughs> you know. And so. I don't think people realise that when you do a band buyer, you're setting the narrative for the artist and the label. Absolutely. For all the things they're going to talk about in the mm-hmm. next year. To, like, sometimes the artist doesn't even know what the narrative is until you kind of until art- you, articulate yeah, it for them. Yeah, exactly. Spot on. Like, it's, exactly. A lo- it's actually a lot of heavy lifting. Well, especially now when, you, you know, we, we see a lot of bios get used for you know, album release press releases yeah. almost verbatim. It's just like, yeah, that's yeah. not what I signed up for. I feel like maybe I should get an extra sort of check for essentially doing part of your publicity. But that's, yeah. you know. Mm. Don't say it, don't say it. It is what it is. <laughs> no, we roll with it. Um, but, yeah, I think it's a good point to make that as three journalists who obviously have to hustle our asses mm. off. This is something we love doing, but, you know, it's – yeah, the struggle is real. It, mm. we, we have to, yeah, we have to really work hard often to get paid and to find the gems because not all talent is that talented for, you know, in terms of interviews. No, and that's that's kind of what I like about working with artists who, who might not be there just yet. They might be super fresh. So you're, you're, you've got the really cool opportunity to sort of help them grow and mm-hmm. and build them from the ground up. And I feel like a lot of people really need to um, just acknowledge everybody's role in that process mm. and oftentimes i feel like writers don't get their flowers when they're needed mm. Mm. i hear you know um my friends the and by my friends i mean you guys out there listening as well <laughs> what is the song right now that you can't wait to play uh like my for me i heard a track vaughn played the other day on triple r on his, his show double bounce and it's called good puss by cobra who i believe is a swedish rapper and it's like a thumping club banger with a real kind of two unlimited kind of 80s rave feel to it it's new it's new as fuck and it's just fantastic and i've been told by my lovely partner that i'm not allowed to play it at home (laughs) because it's all about good puss and uh it's a lesbian anthem it's lesbian it's fantastic but yeah it's a little bit sweary but i can't wait to get out of here and thump that on my system what else what do you got for us to say oh well um to it's literally just come out, but there's a new flight facilities track out with Ooh. Channel Trace, 
Which with is who? Channel Trace. Oh yeah, I just love. Fucking sick. And I wouldn't say that I. Yeah, I wouldn't say that I'm like necessarily a flight facilities aficionado. Wouldn't pick you as one. Um, nothing against them. But every now and again, I hear a bop, and I'm like, "Oh, that's cool." But this one, it's like a real kind of fusion of like '90s Detroit house coupled with like Sick. Trace's like kind of West Coast swag as well. Yeah. So it's it's a vibe. Also, new Pomrad. If you're not Don't a close Pomrad, Pomrad no. um, really cool uh, synth kind of electro producer. Um, I would definitely go just Spotify, get him on any sort of streaming service. Um, some really cool, like, French house mm. vibes. Really good to just drive to or vibe out to when you're working from home and you're, you're stuck in an email wormhole. Going to you different. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Marcus? Mine is uh, there's a local band called Kino Motel. Do you know those guys yes. at all? I've seen the name, but I don't know them. Uh, actually, kind of sounds almost embarrassing, but I, I got into them because I liked their poster. For no, sure. Nothing wrong with that, single twin. And uh, had, had to listen to it. And anyway, I've been obsessed. They did like a a three-track live thing at the Wick Rehearsal Studios. Yeah. Uh, but like filmed it and made it all nice and pretty and all that sort of stuff. I'm really digging them. They're sort of like a, I guess it's almost like Australian Gothic, but like a bit sort of sexy in a weird way as well. You can um, say it's okay. It's all right to say that word. <laughs> yeah, I, I really love them. There's there's two singers, Ed Fraser and Rosa Mercedes, and that um, the two voices work really well. And it's I don't know, I'm kind of there's not anything that sounds like it for me at the moment, so I Great. find myself keep putting that on. And it's also it's a live thing, so it's interesting that they do have recorded tracks as well, but it's the live thing that I keep coming back to. So I'm super excited to hear what those guys do. Nice. I love a dual vocal. I've enjoyed your dual vocals today. So Sophia Molly and Marcus T. You've been on Hit Different with Mikey Carl as well as your host. Uh, next episode, we have some very special, we're going to have special correspondence. Yeah. I've just done this dream sort of wish list of guests and everyone's saying they're yes. They're all coming so through. They're all coming through. So uh, you come through for us as well. Love mm-hmm. you, love you lots. And we'll see you next time on Hit Different. Mwah. Yeah. Bye.